All right, here we go. Welcome back to the Bibliotheques podcast, everybody. Today, Cody and I will be recapping and discussing the last nine chapters, I believe, of Agatha Christie's Death on the Nile. Cody, my man, what's up? How are we feeling after finishing this mystery? I'm feeling dumb. <laughs> I'm feeling like I don't know shit about mysteries. Okay, I I actually... So, I... L- finished this book, I was talking to my girlfriend and thinking to myself, I could have felt much dumber, but there have been things and I there's receipts out here, folks. We've talked about some of this stuff on the podcast. Uh Uh-huh. Some of the things have been floated. Theories. We'll get to all of it at the end of the show. But I actually like I finished the book and I was like, okay, Yes, feel a little bit dumb, but for the most part, I felt like, nah, I was doing okay. I was doing okay. We we were doing all right. And as you'll see, the revealed actions are uh, pretty wild. And uh, if you would have just guessed them outright, I would have been like, come on. Preposterous. Yes. Okay. So today, before we get going on anything... We've got our recap and discussion. As I said, we're doing chapters 23 through the end of the book. We'll get you with kind of grading ourselves on our whodunits and our upstream and downstream at the end here. But before we get into anything, we had one more pronunciation request, Cody. So if you remember mm-hmm. last week, we established that Lynette is Lynette and Hercule is Hercule. We've got one more. So our Italian archaeologist on board, his name is spelled R-I-C-H-E-T-T-I. And we have been saying Ricchetti or Ricchetti, right? Okay. Okay. I was told, and I looked this up and verified it, the proper pronunciation, again, thank you, dear listener, is actually, and I'm going to put up my Italian hands here, Ricchetti. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. So from now on, it's Ricchetti. Okay. I, I can't roll my R, so I'm not doing that, but Ricchetti it is. Okay. Noted. <laughs> All right. So last I week. I don't know what you people want from me. <laughs> so, so last week we left off. Lynette's dead. We don't know who did it. It happened shortly after this kind of confrontation between. Jackie and Simon in the saloon with a couple witnesses present. And last week, we start with Race and Poirot busy questioning guests on board um, following Lynette Doyle's murder. We learn a few things. So Jackie's pistol, which we assume is the murder weapon, had gone missing but was recovered after being tossed overboard. It was wrapped in this cheap handkerchief and Van Schuyler's velvet stole, which evidently was used to try and suppress the sound of this pistol. We also learned that Lynette's $50,000 pearl necklace is missing. Miss Bowers returns the pearls, saying that they were taken by Van Schuyler. Apparently, this older woman is like a klepto and just does this shit all the time. But we realize that these pearls are fakes. Van Schuyler also saw Rosalie Otterborn tossing something overboard around the time that Lynette died, kind of near Lynette's cabin. We learned that 
what Rosalie was actually throwing overboard was booze that she was trying to keep away, trying to keep away from her alcoholic mother. So our detectives searched the ship. They don't find a ton of anything that feels super substantial, but there's some weird nail polish situation going on in Lynette's room. We discussed that last week. I called out that like there's some weird glue or adhesive kind of stuff in Tim Allerton's room. There's nice undergarments in Ferguson's room. This guy that we've kind of been thinking is like this kind of dirty rebellion sparking kind of guy. So dressing well underneath his crappy clothes. And we find a revolver in Andrew Pennington's room. Lastly, the section ended last week with the discovery of Lynette's maid, Louise, lying dead underneath her bed in her cabin. And that takes us to chapter 23, where we start our recap today. So Race and Poirot are investigating the death of Louise, and they note that she was stabbed through the heart with a very sharp and precise knife. She is also clutching through rigor mortis the corner of a French mille note. Please uh, come at me for pronunciation of French currency. I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, but it's a large note, as noted by Poirot. Very large note. Um, so they do deduce that being the victim of a murder, she must have seen something which gave her access to knowledge about the killers. She was counting bribe money when the killer then took advantage of her distraction and um, killed her as well. Um, they go to the doctor and ask him if any of his surgical knives have been stolen. Uh, he gets indignant about the accusation and leaves. Poirot later hears Rosalie and Jackie chatting and goes to them um, to talk about the recent murder. Um, and he's like really observing Rosalie with a lot of care. When Jackie leaves uh, to comfort Cornelia, who's just like a, an emotional disaster, like all this is going on. Uh, Poirot then interrogates Rosalie a little bit more. He asks her why she didn't mention uh, the pistol to him, the pistol being one that may have been found on her in a recent search. Uh, she shows her his purse and says it's not there this time. He confronts her with his theory that she saw a man leaving Lynette's cabin of the night of the murder when she was uh, dumping her mom's liquor off the boat. Um, she says that she didn't see anyone, but in a way that Poirot is pretty convinced that she's lying. And that's where the chapter ends. Oh, yeah. Rosalie's clearly shook. And here's the thing. This is kind of a weird section for us to be doing here because, you know, in previous episodes of this book, we've kind of been speculating at the end of each episode. Hard to do that now when we know like what happens. Yeah. So, so, so we're, we're just, just going to keep it moving. Low, yeah. Yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, keeping it moving. But like, it's clear that like Poirot is like, she's lying to me, but not in like an accusatory way. Not in, or in like a like a in a way that he thinks that she's a criminal. He just knows she's lying to her for whatever reason. Right. So chapter twenty four, Miss Bowers is treating Simon's wound. She gets done with that and comes out on deck. His temperature is rising and like he really needs some proper care at a hospital. Uh, you know, X rays, anesthetic, all of that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Jackie is freaking the fuck out because she's like, this dude's going to die. It's going to be on me. I don't know what to do about this. Poro's trying to console her the whole time. And he's like, look, nurses saying that it doesn't look good is often just because they don't, you know, they see so much death that they are kind of pessimistic. And he also adds in this kind of 
interesting little little note on the end there. He's like, hey, also, Jackie, um, the sun's gone, so the moon can rise, huh? Like, how, wh- what do we think about that? Like, Lynette's dead. You can kind of step in there. What, what, what's, uh, what's stopping you? But we move it on along. Race comes and grabs Poirot, and he's like, look, man, I just thought of something. And Poirot, before Race can even, like, say what it is. Bro is like, yeah, that's that's cool, but I already figured this whole thing out. <laughs> like, here, let me just throw some evidence at you and see if you can just like come up with it after hearing some of this stuff. She's so like, all right, Jackie said that someone overheard our conversation when we were in Asan together. Tim Allerton had some shady shit going on the night of the crime. He's clearly hiding something. Luis, the maid, had significant answers to some of our questions clearly before she died. Otherwise, the murderer wouldn't have killed her. Mrs. Allerton, he throws in, drinks water. Tim drinks whiskey and soda. And Poirot drinks wine. He just throws that in there. There's the two bottles of nail polish and some quoted proverb of Poirot's. And there's this recovered pistol in the cheap handkerchief and velvet stole. So race, much like me, is like, hey man, I don't see the picture. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't I don't know what you're trying to tell Paul me. Paul and I are basically race. We're both race for the rest of the book. God like, bless dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> God bless Agatha Christie for writing a character that's just her readers. She's just yeah, it's like it's just a it's a guy who's also m- mostly interested in solving the case who's just much worse at it than Poirot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Race is like, um <laughs> you're I, I don't see it, dude. Poro's like, all right, let's go back to the fact that the pistol went missing right after Jackie shot Simon. First, though, let's go talk to Simon about this telegram incident with Ricchetti. So they go back to Simon's uh, or to Dr. Bessner's cabin where Simon is still, you know, laid up. Bessner's clearly annoyed with detective detectives just coming and going. And so they sit down with Simon. The door remains open with just this curtain drawn over the door. So Simon recaps the mix up with the telegram and is about to say what Lynette read from it when Miss Otterborn just bursts into the cabin saying that she knows who killed Lynette. She's like, hey, I saw who walked in with Louise before she died. And we can all assume that it was the same person who killed Lynette, right? Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, yeah, that's that's fair. So Mrs. Otterborn, being a (laughs) sensational novelist, is like really taking her time getting to the point here. So finally, Simon just yells at her like, for God's sake, lady, tell me who fucking killed my wife. So Mrs. Otterborn tells her story. She's going to lunch with Rosalie when she remembered that she, um, quote, forgot something in her cabin, told Rosalie to go on without her. At this moment in her story, the curtain covering the door stirs as if moved by the wind, but none of the men inside notice it. So Otterborn goes on and she's explaining that the steward had procured something for her uh, and she needed to go get it. So liquor, obviously. Then through this curtain, a faint steel blue gleam appears 
Mrs. Otterborn then continues her story. She's milking it. She's milking the story. Yes. After she got the liquor from the ship steward, she saw Luis at her cabin door waiting and then go inside. Then she saw another person go knock on the door and the person that did it was and then bang. Mrs. Otterborn gets shot in the back of the head. Race runs outside but doesn't see anyone on deck. The only thing he finds is Pennington's Colt revolver. So immediately they're like, all right, let's go to Pennington's cabin. The gun is gone when they get there. So they search all around for Pennington and finally find him in the drawing room, just like casually writing letters. They tell him what happened. He's like, oh, shit, Mrs. Otterborn's dead. Yeah, I guess uh, now that you mention it, I did hear a gunshot. Man, we should probably get some uh, tighter security on this boat, huh? <laughs> They're like, dude, your gun is what killed her. So let's start talking here. And that's how we get into chapter 25. Yeah, a couple things about this chapter. Like, it's noted that, like, Mrs. Otterborn dies because, like, she's just like, time for Otterborn to get famous for a murder thing again, baby. My, my name's going to be in the papers everywhere. So she's like, way too high on her own supply to just get it out. And, mm-hmm. um, when, when you mentioned that, like, yeah, she's like, yeah, I like talked to the stewardess to like get me a thing. Race is like, what the fuck? And just kind of looks over at Poirot and he's like, booze. <laughs> he's like, ah, yeah, cool. He just like, he mouths like, he drink. mouths it. It's just like, <laughs> liquor. Yeah, like, drink. <laughs> and I assume he's kind of like, yeah, that's it. And he's like, oh, okay, guys, yeah, sweet, sweet, sweet. Oh, I got, I got you. All right. <laughs> yeah, this chapter was crazy. Like, as soon as I saw like the curtain, like, kind of moved like it was from the wind, I was like, God, Otterborn's dying today i know dude i i had so many complaints coming out of this chapter for just the general like management of this situation one if you are about to hear the name of the person that killed somebody stop mrs otterborn immediately and tell her to start with the name and we can hear the story afterwards and close the door Close the door. That's a great example of the second thing that bothered me. Yeah. Maybe a little bit more security on this boat. Yeah. There is a murderer running around rampaging. The least we could do is close doors behind us. And lastly, it's just like, hey, um, Mrs. Otterborn, and this is kind of in her character, so I get it, but like maybe have a quiet word with the detectives on board just a suggestion no way dude you bungled it (laughs) (laughs) okay let's keep it moving okay chapter 25 so pennington is like the worst like accusee in the in the world he's like it may have been my gun but it totally couldn't have been me like gestures to the table i was writing letters (laughs) and they're like do you have one witness and he's like oh absolutely not Oh, he like, gives oh. the he gives the absolute worst alibi here, Cody. He's like, well, since I wasn't running around on deck, no one would have been able to see me not running around on deck. It's like, yeah, that's not how alibis work, my guy. No, no, absolutely <laughs> not. 
And then Poro's like, well, you're going to talk to us more in depth in 30 minutes, my fucking guy. And he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but first, we got to talk to Jackie and Cornelia. And they make the connection. He could have gone down the hall and then swung down onto a lower level. Because again, we're talking about a boat here with like multiple levels. And so maybe he went over the railing and done it. This definitely makes sense. But I definitely thought it was a little like Pennington doesn't strike me as like the parkour kind of guy. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Andrew. So I was like, interesting theory, ladies, but I, I don't think so. So as they discuss things further, uh, Mr. Ferguson is like having a heated discussion with Cornelia. She's based, he's doing his typical like things don't matter. It's good that these rich people are dead. Yada, yada, yada. And Cornelia basically like owns him so bad. Like just basically tells him off in such a positive way. He's like, wow, you're a badass lady. Will you marry me? She's like, what? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so she like sort of refuses him, but mostly, but like doesn't really. And then just kind of leaves. And like Ferguson goes onto the observation deck where Miss Van Schuyler and um, is and Poro kind of follows him. Ferguson is like basically like, "Hey, I'm I'm here to ask your permission to marry Cornelia." And I'm and she's like stunned by his like insolence. She's like, "Why on earth would I let this street rat marry my cousin? Like you mm-hmm. were just straight up too poor for me." And he goes, "Is that your final answer?" And she's like, "Yes." Then Cornelia walks in and like. You know, she's like, hey, is it true that like he asked you to marry her? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, well, you said no, right? And she's like, well, I didn't say no per se. And like, kind of like gives this kind of like overwhelmed response where she can't really say yes or no and then leaves. Ferguson is like also extremely smug at this non answer and leaves. Miss Schuyler is the big mad. <laughs> she's just fuming that Cornelia didn't do like exactly what she said. And Poirot's like, well, you know who that guy is, right? And she's like, oh, just some like random poor guy. And he goes, oh, no, that's actually uh, the Lord Dawlish. He's extremely rich. But when he went to Oxford, he became a communist after falling into like kind of conversation with a lot of radicals. And, you know, that's where it is then revealed. Like, he obviously had very fine underclothes over his like not like matching shitty overclothes. And it makes sense when you think about like, well, he's like, He's not going to wear like crappy underwear. He just kind of wants to like perform as someone who's like a man of the people. He's a total and, poser. He's yeah, a totally. poser, dude. He is the he is the rich kid that goes to school and then is like infused with socialist agenda and is like, mm-hmm. fuck, yeah, this is sick. And then is like, you know what I need to do appear like this in all the ways until it makes me a little too uncomfortable. So I'm going to keep all of my nice shit that like people aren't going to see and notice, but like I'm still going to be that guy. Right. That's exactly right. He is ju- this is the very first like archetype of like the trust fund communist. Yes, it's exactly what it is. Yeah. Anyway, Van Schuyler is like big rattled by this, but the chapter ends. Yeah, Poirot finishes this chapter being like, mm, it all fits in. And I'm like, what, dude? No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. What all fits in? Tell no, me. We've doesn't. got another fucking six chapters of this book. God damn oh, it. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So chapter 26. Race brings Fanthorpe to Poro's cabin. And Poro tells him that he noticed that Fanthorpe wears like a very specific OE tie. It's just a very particular tie that is supposed to basically be the signature of certain high society in England. But he's like, all right, so clearly 
you're somebody of some kind of importance. So what the fuck are you doing here in Egypt? And why was it that you were so interested in Lynette signing documents when she was with Pennington a couple episodes ago? So Fanthorpe tells Poro that his uncle, Mr. Carmichael, is actually Lynette's English lawyer and has suspected Pennington of some crookery for a while. So Fanthorpe reveals that he came to Egypt after learning that Pennington was there and was planning on getting into Simon's good graces so that he could warn Simon about Pennington. You know, Simon was a good target for Fanthorpe for doing this because Simon's kind of like a simple trusting guy. So anyway, we establish here that there's motive for Pennington to work with Simon rather than Lynette on the estate, which is pure conjecture. But it's something there. Pennington does show up just a second later and Fanthorpe leaves. And Pennington is looking a little nervous. So Poro starts walking him through the fact that Pennington and his partner are the last living trustees and they were going to lose control of the estate when Lynette came of age that summer or when she just got married. And Pennington's like, all right, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like, what am I? What am I? What am I doing again? The worst. I don't know, Cody. What did you say? Accusy? Or uh, I guess suspect is a much better word. Here you go, suspect. So Poro is like, all right, calm down, dude. But for real, <laughs> what, was the estate in good order when Lynette got married, and you had to sign it all over to her, or was there some shady shit going on? Pennington is like real mad now and about to walk out, but. Poro presses him and he answers that the estate was in good order and that all of his accusations are ridiculous. So it's important to note that Lynette actually wouldn't have gotten it until the till June when she turned 21. Yeah. And so that's like a couple months away. And they, they do reference that, that she got married before her like technical like ascension to the trustee. So Poro has got some evidence to throw at Pennington here. He's like, dude, we know that you sailed over here to stage a fake run-in with Lynette. We know this because you didn't leave on the ship you said you did. You got on a ship after you received a letter in New York. And we know because the tags from that ship are still on your luggage. We saw it in your room. So Pennington just folds and he's like, all right, you got me. Here's the deal. I believed that her English lawyers were swindling her and I okay. came over to see about it. <laughs> I lied about when and how I got here because I wasn't just about to crash a honeymoon on purpose and I didn't know if Simon was involved. And for I was like, um, bullshit. Here's what we think. <laughs> you came over to get Lynette to sign some papers and buy some time before getting the estate ready to transfer. As Cody said... Estate goes over in a few months. Pennington needed to buy some time. When you didn't get everything you needed from Lynette by signing all of those documents, you tried crushing her with a boulder on that one excursion. Then you killed her and killed the other two people who knew something. Pennington's like, all right, man, I don't stand to gain anything by her death. I don't get her money. That goes to her husband. I was like, yeah, but you only have to answer to Simon now who doesn't know anything about the estate and is trusting by nature. So like you won't be in a shitstorm of trouble when you turn it over to him if everything isn't right. So Pennington is like, all right, here, 
Look, I was making a major comeback on that estate. Money was looking good. And if I had until the summer, her estate would have been fine. Also, I tipped that boulder over on accident and I did not shoot Lynette. And then he just fucking leaps. Like, I I mean, Oro clearly knows something that we don't because he's just like spilling the beans to some people and just letting them walk out on him. So Poro is like, Poro knows what's going on. And when he presses Pennington here, he knows that Pennington's like a corrupt guy. He's just trying to see what he's getting them to admit. Mm-hmm. And so far, they're like, Phanthrop, what are you doing here? He's like, all right, you got me. I came under like clandestine means because I was worried about Pennington. They're like, all right, Pennington, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I was worried about the lawyer. And they're like, okay, 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 what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, okay, look, like, like me and the boys, me and this other like trustee, you know, he doesn't say how the trust went slightly array or array enough that he felt it necessary to like pull off this bruise, but it did. The trust was looking a little not so good, but he like struck it big on the ponies or whatever. And like by June, it was going to be a sure thing that everything was going to be in ship shape when she said to inherit it. And he's like, Boulder leaned on it, tipped over. Anyone could have done that. That's not my fault. Yeah. And he's also, he's kind of like his excuse is like, look, I'm like a shady white collar, not a criminal, but like a guy who may have been in some trouble. I'm not a murderer. And you know what? You can't prove it. And he left. And that is just super not convincing. Right. Here's my thinking, though. As I'm reading that chapter, I'm like, okay, we have five chapters left of this book, and Poro is grilling this guy on motive and all of this other stuff. I'm like, it's way too early. Pennington didn't do this shit. <laughs> so, this is a series of chapters where Poro will bring people in, and you will now know when we say who it is at the beginning of each chapter that they didn't do it because we still mm-hmm. have so much book left. That's kind of what I figured out after this chapter. I was like, okay, well, everyone he's bringing in, people are now revealing their true intentions, none of which actually killed her or the maid or Otterborn. So it's a, it was a little bit kind of cool for me to kind of whittle down in my head who the suspects were then. And I always kind of fell back on like Poro being like, whoever did this was like decisive, struck with like boldness and like real criminal intent. And mm-hmm. so far, everyone we've talked to has just been kind of like weaselly. Yeah, and it doesn't strike me as someone. That's kind of all I thought. Like it's those two things. Like, well, we're just eliminating people from like contention, and also all these people are kind of like too afraid of their own shadow to commit murder. So yeah, yep. So chapter twenty-seven. This chapter is all about Tim Allerton now. So as Paul and I had suspected for a while, Poro convincingly lays out the case that him and Joanna are in this kind of like jewelry heist forgery ring together, where. Joanna has like this contact with like lots of like shady kind of like jewelers who like are basically poor and like get money from her to make forgeries. And she also knows of the rich people. And Tim Allerton is of just a high enough society where he can go to parties either with Joanna or by himself, cat burgle the items and replace them with forges. And so all this information is kind of pressed on him when they're like, so now you stole the string of pearls um, that Lynette had and replace them with a fake. And he's like, well, okay, well, in that case, you can search my room. You're not going to find him. And Poirot goes, if I were to search the oversized rosary beads that hang on the rosary in your room, would I find that they are hollow and encased with pearls? And he's like, uh, you sure fucking would, Poirot. Good job. That's, uh, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and he's like, 
he's just like, yep, lie. That- lie for longer. <laughs> he did, he totally folded, and he's like, and they're like, okay, so now we got to clear up another couple of things. And he's like, before you go on, he's like, I haven't implicated Joanna in anything. This is all me. And Poro's like, fine, <laughs> don't care. Anyway, you went into her. You went into Lynette's room to find the pearls. If you didn't kill her. Did you notice if she was dead or alive at that time that you did it? And he's like, that's actually really important. Um, I hadn't thought of that. I guess I was just being extra sneaky, but I guess she could have been dead <laughs> yeah. when I was in there. And so then they bring Rosalie in and they're like, Rosalie, like you didn't uh, say whether or not you saw anyone, but you definitely did. Did you see this guy? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> And he's like, you were, you didn't tell me because you were afraid the person you saw was the murderer and that if you confessed, you'd be a target for murder. And she's like, uh huh. Poro's like, well, you know, in that case, Rosalie, you may have been right. Tim Allerton may have done it. And Tim's like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, not only like, did you, like, there was a forgery, like, everyone knows that Lynette's like really smart. You actually didn't steal them that night. You stole them earlier and replaced them. She knew about it and confronted you. And you would have been arrested. Joanna would have gone down. So that night you snuck in and you killed, you uh, overheard Jackie shoot um, Simon. You stole her gun. You snuck in and you killed her and then you left. And that's what happened. And then he's like so stunned. He's like going to start crying. And Rosalie's like, no, absolutely not. It could not have done been him. He doesn't have like the stomach in him to do it. And Poro's like, you're right, Rosalie. It's not him. And Tim's like, God fucking damn it, Poirot. What is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I've basically just laid out the thought exercise of you doing it, even though I know you didn't do it. Just, you know, give me those fucking pearls back and you're good to go. He's like, oh, God, thank you. So they leave. And like through conversation, it's revealed that like Tim and Rosalie have like these feelings for each other. Mm-hmm. And like Tim brings Rosalie to his mom, who is like, always been nice to Rosalie and it's like we're getting married. It's a very weird way for the chapter to end. Yeah, I and part of the reason that Rosalie didn't want to turn Tim in was also because she'd already had feelings for him right. and she didn't want that to be true. Like she didn't want Tim to be implicated. She didn't believe that he could have done it and she liked him so she didn't want to turn him in. I was also surprised by this Cody, definitely a weird way for the chapter to end. But it is kind of nice because like Tim and Rosalie getting hitched, that's fine. But I think more importantly, Rosalie finally has like a mother figure after her mom died um, that day Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that she doesn't have to like parent. So Rosalie no longer has to, you know, look out for her mom who is now you know, her mother-in-law, Mrs. Allerton, which, which is sweet, I think. Yes, very nice. Chapter 28. Race is like, hey man, you're just gonna let Tim Allerton get away with jewelry theft? And Pearl's like, yeah, I'm a sucker for a good redemption slash love arc. Like, what can I say? Pearl's like, so funny, dude. <laughs> yeah. Race He's like, like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> yeah. You're gonna return the pearls. I don't give a shit. Race is like, all right, Fine. So, okay, please. Do you know who committed this murder or not? He asked this question, but Dr. Bessner and Cornelia come into the room. And it's here that we talk about a little bit more about Van Schuyler's kleptomania, about, you know, the whole Ferguson 
proposing to Cornelia. We get some updates on Simon's condition, how weird it is that Jackie would shoot someone she loved, blah, blah, blah. Oh, dude, hold on. I cracked up when like Cornelia comes in. She's like, I have a confession. And Poro's like, okay. And she's like, my cousin, Miss Van Schuyler, she likes to steal things. And I think she may have stolen something. And Poro's like, I was actually just telling race, but I'm a murder cop. We're like absolving all non-murder related crimes on this fucking boat. So I don't care. (laughs) Also, Cornelia, she's the best, man. Cornelia is just, she's such a sweet, sweet character. I just, the fact that she comes in and and is like, Poro, I have something that you might not know. It's like, there's no chance that Cornelia (laughs) is a step ahead of this guy. Yeah, there's no shot. Race is just like, you know, like trying to do like 15 row, 15 column Sudoku puzzle. (laughs) And it's just on the ropes with Perot. And he also Uh, does this for a living. (laughs) Yeah. So Race is like, yeah, yeah, enough chit chat. I got to go talk to Simon about this telegram. And Ricchetti. Bessner is like, oh yeah, Simon told me all about it. How it was like all about potatoes and all sorts of different vegetables. And Race is like, okay, hold on, stop. That's what this telegram was about? Well, then that's definitely the guy that I've been looking for. This like social agitator, the rebellion sparker, etc. The different vegetables that were included in this telegram are code words for different kinds of guns and ammunition. And look, I knew there was something fishy about that telegram the minute it came up. Oh, yeah, dude. I kept bringing up potatoes, I think. I didn't know that this is what it was, but I feel a little bit of pride just being like, okay, that one isn't going to slip by me. Anyway, Poro is like, yeah, he's definitely your guy race, but he's not the murderer. Poro goes yeah, he's, on. He's your guy. Yeah. He's not my guy. <laughs> right. Poro's like, I know what happened, but the problem is that everything that I say isn't going to just hold up in court. I need the person to confess to this murder. And Poirot goes on. He's like, here's the deal. I was stumped by the fact that the murderer wanted to frame Jackie, but also threw the gun away. Why? Why would he have done that? And that's how chapter 28 ends. And that gets us into chapter 29, which is a big one. A big one. Paul, please feel free to jump in at any point. Um, okay. If I'm missing like crucial details or a little like backstory things. So I'm going to try and lay it out in as detailed a way I can. So <laughs> chapter 29 titled the monologue. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's this is all poor row and people being like, wait, what? And him being shut up. I'm not done. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the so, donut hole. So Poirot officially lays out the case against dun 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 Simon Doyle. Okay, so here's what happened according to Poirot. So Jackie and is like gets loaded, right? She's drunk, and she shoots Simon. Okay, no, she didn't. She shot at him, and Simon pretended to have been hit. Remember um, the uh, nail polish, which was empty in Lynette's room that it was empty because Simon had taken it and his handkerchief and when he was pretended to be shot emptied out the red and used it to dye the handkerchief that he had to pretend like it was blood to be shot in the commotion of everything people believed it and ran to get help okay 
So when Jackie leaves, Jackie kicks the gun under the SETI. And then Cornelia takes her to the nurse and with um, Fanthorpe. With so, Fanthorpe to get the doctor. Right. Leaving just Simon in the room alone. Yeah. That's right. When everyone goes to get the doctor, Simon grabs the gun and because he's uninjured, swiftly goes to Lynette's room and like Jackie and Cornelia are making such a commotion in the hallway trying to get him. No one sees him or hears him go into Lynette's room, shoot her point blank because she had burn marks on her head. He then runs back to the saloon. Now, the saloon is where he pulls out the stole, which he had stolen earlier, and then using it to muffle his uh, muffle the gun, shoots himself in the leg for real this time. He then takes that and the handkerchief and the gun and throws them overboard. Which explains why Tim Allerton earlier had said that he did hear a pop and then immediately, like very soon afterwards, a splash, like in quick succession. So that is why the gun was not left at the scene of the crime, because the original gunshot against Simon was a fake and he needed it to kill Lynette or Mm -hmm. kill Lynette and shoot himself back in the saloon. And then Race is like, wait, if that's the case, is there a like a another bullet hole and he goes no there was actually a hole in the table which i I don't know if we you remember that i don't remember that being brought up uh, like a hole being noticed in the table i think that would have been too big of a clue for anything but right yeah but but that didn't have a bullet in it so maybe he dug it out that's not super important but hole in the table so maybe that's the stray shot but here's a problem louise saw him leave that room the maid and so then when she was basically being interrogated in front of Simon, there are only two people that were there in that interrogation. The doctor, who didn't do it, and Simon. Because when when she was like, oh, I may have seen someone, but I don't think so. Like, I'm afraid that I may be like accused of something. Simon was the one who said, no one's accusing you of anything, kind of confirming his knowledge of the blackmail situation. So mm-hmm. what does he do? He's talking to Jackie, who we know that Jackie and Simon have been talking on and off all throughout after this event um, because it's just been, you know, just we've just known about it. But the weapon used to kill the maid was a stolen scalpel because Simon has been holed up in the doctor's room with really close access to all his instruments. He gives one to Jackie. And when she shows up to pay the ransom pay, she stabs the maid while being counted, but as she leaves, that's yeah, when Miss Otterborn sees her. Yeah. <clears throat> and when Miss Otterborn sees her, she then goes to like Dr. Bessner and Simon and Race and Poirot and goes to confess and everything, yada yada. But the reason that Simon freaks out and it's like, hey, can you just move on and say what you who you think you saw? He's actually freaking out because he's like, wait, if this set of situations is correct, you're gonna say you saw Jackie. And that's no good for me. However, Jackie, overhearing this as well, because the door was open, she runs in and grabs Pennington's gun and shoots her. Now, this is also good because it actually doesn't make sense why she would have missed Simon. Like, shot him in the leg, right? But ideally, shot him in the leg. Ideally, she wants to kill him. Why not shoot him in the chest? Like, you can maybe chalk it up to being drunk, but she's a really good shot. She's able to, like, with, like, kind of, like, through a sheet like shoot her and kill Mrs. Otterborn. And she had said earlier that she's a good shot. So she doesn't go down the hall. She drops the pistol and then goes back to her room Who and she's still pretending to be like a disaster. And that's where we find her later that chapter 
And the chapter ends with Poirot basically being like, and they wouldn't have gotten away with it without the meddling Hercule Poirot. I think what's interesting is how Poirot came to his conclusions on all of this. Mm -hmm. So the original thing was he said earlier, like we need to go back to the beginning and rethink like our sequence of events because we're going through this whole exercise with the belief that like the people in the room when Jackie shot Simon initially could not have done this. But what if we just consider for a moment that that was like actually a possibility, right? And that makes you think a little bit harder on, okay, why was the gun left in the saloon? Who could have taken it, right? And so Poirot's thinking about that. Cody, you brought up that her head was scorched, which again is like, okay, if her head was scorched, then there was no stole covering the gun when she was shot. But we know for a fact that there were bullet holes through the stole. So we've got the one shot from Jackie initially, and we've got another one that put holes through this stole, but we don't know why Lynette's head would have been scorched. So like there must have been a third shot. And that's where we kind of come to the realization like, okay, well, third shot, Simon must have done it right afterwards. But that's just added to the fact that, all right, Poirot, when he was searching rooms, he found those two bottles of nail polish. The color of the one that was nearly empty was not the actual original color of the nail polish. The one that's labeled rose should be more of a pale pink color. But the few drops that were left in it were a dark red and didn't smell like nail polish, but more like ink. So what Poro is like deducing from all of this is that, again, Simon would have used it to fake his injury when Jackie shot him and then brought the bottle back to Lynette's room to remove any evidence from the saloon. So Poro obviously thought that that was really really sketchy. You mentioned that Luis was like actually hinting towards Simon. Like, I know what you did and you're going to pay me to keep quiet. I think what's, what's a little bit interesting about this too, is that Poirot kind of puts together also that like this whole thing was very well planned out. So the plan (laughs) included marrying Lynette, taking all of her money and marrying Jackie down the road because the Mm -hmm. two were still in love. And that was supported by the reaction after the night in the saloon where Simon didn't want any blame placed on Jackie. And Jackie was immediately sorry for everything that she did. Simon was also in Poirot's mind, a terrible actor and was like very preoccupied playing this devoted husband character, which is completely unlike who he is as a person. There's also Poirot is like Jackie threw out this red herring that someone overheard their conversation when they were speaking together in the garden. But Poirot's like, I never fucking saw that guy. So Jackie's trying to like throw in some weird shit that I just didn't think was there. Right. And then lastly, we mentioned before that Poirot had heard Simon say, we have to go through with it now. But that was actually to Jackie and not Lynette before Lynette was murdered. And then finally, the the fact that like they had so many 
witnesses and Jackie was adamant on keeping Cornelia in the room the whole time mm-hmm. was just to basically shore up everybody's alibis. So it was right. like, all right, Cornelia, I need you with me this entire time. So blame can't be placed on me. Fanthorpe, you're going to be there just as kind of like a bonus, really. But like all of it was very well planned out so that they could get away with this murder. Neither of them would be blamed for it. They'd have like lock, rock solid alibis. The problem was that, of course, they had some loose ends with other murders that they had to commit later. If they hadn't had this situation with Louise the maid and then later on Mrs. Otterborn, they may have gotten away with it, but it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, the motive stuff is also a little bit weird because I thought Poro references that he also may have been drugged at this time. Right. To yes. like be, make him be a heavy sleeper, which is like, I don't know, but there's like no real, like real proof for that. But it, it all does make sense if you just immediately buy in on like the, the fake wound theory. And mm-hmm. the, the thing was, the fake wound theory is the only one that explains why the skull was scorched and stuff. Yeah, I think what I was thinking at the end of this chapter, and Poro says this at the end of the last chapter, was like, hey, all of this stuff wouldn't hold up in court. All of this is just totally... Con- it's all conjecture, right? right. Like, who knows? You, you, th- this doesn't prove anything, so we need an actual confession from Simon And that's part of it where I'm like, I'm not disappointed in the conclusion of this because I thought that it was like very complicated and interesting, but I am kind of like, there's no aha moment where it's like, okay, you're going to jail for the rest of your life. Simon isn't even in the room when all of this is being explained. Right. Yeah. And I feel like there's no, there's no real way for the, for the reader to have guessed it unless you just stick with the Jackie Simon theory that they're in cahoots together just going for it, which we did con- we did conceive of that. That mm-hmm. wasn't an option. We said it wasn't likely because we had no hard evidence. They had solid alibis, which they did. Well, and there's also the whole issue of like, okay, if Jackie and Simon are working together, is it really necessary for her to shoot Simon in the leg? Right. I think I really don't know that there's like any real way, unless you put the pieces together of like Simon is poor enough that he's the only person on this boat to own a cheap handkerchief, right? Right. But and, I think cheap handkerchief was also um a uh, Ferguson herring. Could yeah, could be, but so like you would have to put together that Simon equals cheap handkerchief and that okay, they're using this suspicious nail polish bottle to like fake an injury. So the cheap handkerchief actually makes no sense now that you actually brought that up because like Lynette does bring up in the past that Simon doesn't know about the finer things in life mm-hmm. and he just does and he's so tight fisted that he doesn't like want to spend money on anything. Yeah, here's what I'll say. I think it is very possible that if you're reading this book, you come to chapter 29, 28, whatever we're on. Uh, we're on chapter 29 right now. So you Mm -hmm. come to the chapter before this one. It is possible that you could have this theory fully formed. If you're paying very close attention. Here's the thing, though. Much like Poirot, I don't think you can be absolutely certain that that's what happened until you hear Simon say it. Right. So that's what we're getting to. 
So chapter 30, Poirot actually just goes into a room and starts talking with Jackie. And we learned that Simon spilled everything quickly when Poirot confronted him. So we don't even get the confrontation. We just mm-hmm. skip over that and go right to Jackie. Right. And, and Jackie tells Poirot, like, it's really weird reading Jackie in this chapter because she's like, hey, man, killing people has become real easy for me. And taking care of myself is now the only real thing that matters to me. She tells Poirot that like his appeal to her to turn away from evil, like not let evil into her heart, it like almost worked for her. But in the end, she went ended up going through with it with Simon. So as we know, Jackie was the one who stabbed Louise to death and shot Mrs. Otterborn in the fucking head. Okay. She's like, hey, Poirot, Hercule, do you have any like desire to hear kind of my thinking on all of this and how this all started? And Poirot's like, yeah, sure. I'm not, I mean, I'm on a boat. I'm not going anywhere. She's like, she and Simon were really in love, but Simon was also trying to get rich quick. Then comes along this possibility for a job with Lynette. And Lynette really did try to like snag Simon away from Jackie. So Jackie's like, you know what? Fuck her. I'm glad she's dead still. You caught me, but one thing remains the same. Lynette stole my fiance. Like she was willing to do that. And that's enough for her to die. So she floated the idea to Simon after Lynette is starting to move in on him. She's like, hey, Simon, you could marry her and this would solve your money problem. Again, Jackie is like very... She loves Simon so much. She just wants the best for him, I guess. And she's like, hey, maybe you could marry her. And Simon, despite like wanting money and being rich, he's not interested in Lynette. Said that she's too bossy, doesn't like being ordered around. But it's not long after this that he gets the idea in his head that like, hey, maybe I could marry Lynette. And then she dies like pretty soon after we get married. That would solve every problem. I don't have to be married to Lynette. I have all of her money. But Jackie knows after finding Simon looking into like like reading on arsenic and shit like that. It's like, okay, this sack of potatoes is not smart enough to pull something off like this. Oh, no. He's getting found out so fast. And so Jackie's like, all right, ride or die, dude. I'm in this with you. I'm going to start pulling this whole plan together. It fell apart, of course, when Luis witnessed this murder or at least Simon going into the room. Jackie says it was like scary initially to kill Luis, but again, adds that it was so easy. And then once again, like, yeah, then she went on and killed Otterborn. The chapter ends with a, a few notes. So Jackie's confident that if she had gotten away with it, she would have lived happily ever after and had no regrets. Again, she's like, fuck Lynette. She tried to take my guy. It was totally worth it. I just got caught. Jackie has a steward with her in the room to make sure she doesn't try and escape or anything, commit suicide maybe. And Poirot leaves the room with the sound of Jackie's crazy ass laughter behind him. And that gets us into the last chapter of this book. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, Jackie's like, Jackie's like the evil heart of this. She's the. She's the maniacal one. She's the one that's like, yeah, you think Simon could have come up with that? No, he was going to like poison her like a dipshit. And then they were going to find it in the autopsy and he would have gone to jail. He's like, 
So, so we came up with a plan and we almost got away with it. But, you know, that dumb French maid, goddamn her, she had to be greedy. It just makes no sense to me that Jackie, who was friends with Lynette forever, would sign on to this plan to have Simon marry her so that they could kill her. It's like, Jackie, you're getting mad at your friend for doing something that you are allowing to happen. Well, I think it's literally just the principle that like she knows her financial situation and like is like finally getting one thing that she's actually wanted, which is like marrying for love. And like Lynette has to take that too. Like she can't even like be poor and happy. She has to also be poor and miserable. I understand that, but look, it doesn't it didn't have to go that far. Simon and Jackie are tight as fuck and it could have like, okay, walk through this with me. All right. Lynette's like, hey, Simon, I think you are an absolute stud. I want to marry you. Let's make this happen. Simon could have said no. He did say no. He ended up marrying her, though. Yeah. As part of the plan with Jackie to take her money. Yeah, because he's dumb and greedy. But all I'm saying is that Jackie co-signed this plan. She planned it Mm -hmm. and then got mad at Lynette for doing this. I understand being angry with your friend for like trying to take your fiance, but killing her as part of a plan and still being mad at her on principle seems bizarre to me. Here's So I think the way I see it is that Jackie wanted to kill Lynette for even like trying to do it. So the fact that if she did it or not is actually irrelevant to Jackie. I yes, and that is what I think is fucking I I think it's just we just have to chalk this up to Jackie being an actual like psychopath. Yes. And then it makes more sense cuz she's like, "Damn, Poirot, do you know what killing people's fucking easy?" He's like, "Uh, no." And she's like, "Well, I'm going to monologue about why I did it." And he's like, "Go ahead." Like she he's like pretty spooked talking to her and when he leaves she's like evil laughing like she's the joker Mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to talking with our special guest next week about this particular motive simon makes complete sense jackie is frankly not interested in the money she wants to make simon happy and so i'm just like i'm i don't know this was the one for her it sounds like yeah i'm i'm looking forward to discussing this more but we've got one more chapter left cody you want to take us away Let's, uh, we'll take it home. Chapter 30, very short, very weird. Race and Poirot are on deck. They're pulling into the town and um, they're talking about how what a huge wimp Simon is about being found out. Race is like, you know, he's like crying, right? <laughs> but not in like a way where you're like understandable where he's going like, to go to jail, maybe get like hanged. He's like blubbering. And, and Poirot's like, yes, yeah, because he's a man baby. He's like so obsessed with himself that he finally got got. And now he's just going to collapse. Cornelia comes up and it comes out that she's engaged and Mr. Ferguson's like, is it true to me? And she's like, no, fuck you. You're a dick. I'm marrying Dr. Bessner. Earlier in the book, we forgot to mention this, but Dr. Bessner is, was like very like complimentary of Cornelia about like how smart and kind she is. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to marry this guy because he's really cool. And Ferguson is like big shook. He's like, <laughs> but he's old. She's like, he's like 40. No, he's not. And she's like, yeah, but he's fat. And she's like, yeah, not everyone's perfect. Like you don't have to marry someone for being like physically perfect. And she's like, he's like, you really think she's like he's better than me? And she's like, yeah, you're a fucking douche. And she leaves. And, and like Ferguson goes to Poirot 
He's like, you, you, you believe this? You, you see the shit? I'm a fucking stud. And Boro's like, yeah, maybe uh, not, man. Tail is old as time, dude. The rejected guy who is just looking around for any lifeline. Oh yeah, goes to Poro and he's like, "Can you believe this shit? Like, what a she's you're like, like nuts, right? You like you're you're leaning up on the bar. You're like, hey, what's up? You like, what? Can I buy you a drink? She's like, um, no, fuck you, you're gross. And then you just immediately turn to a dude you've like never met before. It's like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> women, right? She's, she's <laughs> mentally ill. <laughs> This dude sucks. And Poro's like, yeah, okay, dude, like, get out of here. Um, so then they bring out Simon, who's on a stretcher, just like a shell of a man, just like embarrassed. He's cringing. He's like, oh, no, people know I'm a murderer. And then Jackie comes out like much cool, much more coolly and is just hanging out. And then she like stops to like, quote unquote, tie her shoe. But then she pulls out the missing boot gun from Rosalie's that was planted on Rosalie's purse. She shoots Simon in the head and then herself in front of everyone completing a murder suicide. And Poirot is like, not shocked. And people are like, dude, you knew. And he's like, yeah, seemed all right. Like well, they're probably both going to die anyway. So now it's like at their hands. So like, I guess that's better. And everyone's like, what? Everyone is like, uh, excuse me, Ek, you, you knew that the, mm, first of all, you knew who the murderer was like eight chapters ago and didn't yeah. say anything. And then once everybody also knew who the murderer was, you were cool with her just having a gun. And he's like, yes, but my powers of deduction led me to believe that she was just going to do a murder suicide instead of go to trial. So I thought that was fine. Oh my god. <laughs> Dude, what? Absolutely. Oh my guy. He's just watching this whole thing unfold from the fucking deck of a boat too. He's like leaning over the side and like, "Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's about how I thought that would go down." Called it again. Damn Poirot. You fucking did it again, baby. Oh my god. <laughs> he just like goes to race and like finger guns and is like, "Knew it." And he's like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that like Poro maybe came up with like the idea of who did it like far later than he leads on and just kind of likes to watch Ray squirm. Yeah, yeah. Because Ray was just getting the mitts from this case, had no idea what was up. But yeah, that's a crazy ending. And it notes that like you know different people in the world read about it. Famously absent, my guy Windlesham, who you know big time accountability. I was convinced Windlesham was in on this. Yeah, I was like. Wait, as soon as we were like eliminating people from the contention, I was like, oh, baby, we're going to get Windlesham. I'm going to be so smart. No, No. it was just kind of who we, it was kind of, it does seem obvious in retrospect, but it always does though, you know? Yeah. So it's a weird landing. Like this, the plane lands on this book, like in a pretty turbulent way. It's, it's a little fucking, shaky. It's fucking a shaky. It's January in Minnesota. And the plane like does one of those bumps as it comes down. Anyway, oh yeah, one of but, those where like the full fuselage of the plane rotates like twenty five degrees in both directions at one point. Yeah, and then for some reason you remember how to say the rosary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what I do, I mean, what's nice is like as I said before. 
in each section of this reading that we've done, there has been this metaphor used about the sun and the moon. And it kind of continues on to like some of the last pages of this book where they're reflecting on how Mrs. Allerton is like, what the fuck? Like, who knew that that would happen? Poro's like, well, I did. Um, but most love stories are tragedies. Like, that's just kind of how it works. Also, um, already a tragedy, man. A woman is dead. Right. Like, and, three people are dead. What are you talking about? Right. So she's like, most love stories are tragedies. So it's kind of fitting that this worked out the way that it did. And there's this note that it's like, thank God that there's some happiness in the world as they look to um, Rosalie and her felon fiance, Tim. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Stinky Fingers, Tim Allerton. Thank God some things end nicely. Okay, Cody. So that's the end of this book. I had a like a blast reading this. I thought it was so fun. Very frustrating at times, if I'm being honest. But that's just like I guess how I am. Like Dude, the amount taking- of, I'm 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 the exact same way. The amount of times I like shook my book when Poirot would be like, ah, yes, just as my suspicions confirm, and like I could like see through Race's eyes as he was like, tell me what's going on. Exactly. <laughs> and like, ah, no, no, I cannot. But I, I don't know. It was it was so great. I think if I had one complaint on this, it's just like when you're using like in Jackie's case, Jackie's involvement is explained in this with like some sort of otherworldly devotion and love to Simon and wanting to get him everything that he wants. Mm-hmm. So and and it helps that she had like the hatred of her supposed best friend um to kind of like cling on to in addition to that. So so that all that all follows. If I if I had one complaint, I guess it would just be I was kind of hoping for a an aha moment with the criminal present. Yeah, I missed that. We didn't get that. And no. I was kind of bummed. We got a lot of fake ahas with a bunch of guys who didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. So I I was kind of hoping to get that. We didn't and that's that's okay. I just, you know, that's kind of what I'm used to, I guess, from, you know, mystery movies and things that I've watched. So a little bummed about that. But overall, I had such a great time reading this book. And yeah, no, no real complaints, just small little nitpicks, I guess. Yeah, same. I thought it was really fun. You know, it was definitely frustrating as we joked about. But on the whole, I mean, it, it got me. I changed my answer of who did it like a million times, kept trying to visualize it in my head. It's actually pretty easy to like visualize all the scenes. Mm. That that made it a really, really really big credit to Agatha Christie for like setting the physical stage of the boat very well. I was never like confused where we were or where people were talking about. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I the setting was great. Before we get into like some of the things that we loved the most or didn't like, you know, from this section any any more than we already have. Let's go to Who Done It, where we're just kind of doing a recap of previous theories and just you know, giving ourselves a little bit of a report card on how we did. So Cody, last week, the take that we had going into this episode was Andrew Pennington is up to some shit and Windlesham might be involved. Here's the thing. Andrew Pennington was up to some shit. He and, was big time up to some shit. And he his um quote accident uh, of like leaning against a boulder and it almost crushing Lynette, you know, like, okay, we can believe that was an accident 
or we can believe it was very opportunistic and like, okay, so I don't feel like a huge dumb idiot for saying that Andrew Pennington was up to some shenanigans. That's right. So I'm not going to beat myself up about that. The Windlesham one, that's a hot take. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a bibliotheque, baby. <laughs> yes, sir. So so that didn't work out super well. No. He literally went up to Canada and was never referenced again because apparently Agatha Christie was like, and then he fucked off to Canada. And I'm like, ah, what does it mean? But Canada. listen, listen, I'm going to ride our Tim Allerton take from last week all the way to the fucking bank. Last oh, week, yeah. we were like, it's Tim. It's Joanna. Maybe that's obvious. I don't care at me. I, <laughs> I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of you, sir, for saying in like the first episode of this, all right, what's up with this ring that they're talking about when it's like Tim Allerton and his mom in Mallorca or wherever they were? Good stuff. Yeah, we also did credit to us run down the theory right away when we found out that Lynne died. We're like, I mean, Lynette, obviously Cody, Lynette. someone or Lynette, yes. Lynette. <laughs> I know, I know. God damn it. Stupid, 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 stupid. <laughs> We did say that the J in blood yeah. was like extremely dumb. And like, could this be a red herring from Jackie like to herself mm-hmm. trying to get be like, why would I sign my own name? on? That's exactly what it was. But then we were like, yeah, but their alibis are really solid. So what are you going to do? And we didn't have a lot of information then, but we did reference that. We, we were did. like, okay. So we, we floated the idea that because Jackie's just been going around being like, I'll kill him. Right. I'll right. do them both. And then there, someone does die and they put a J and she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Couldn't have been me. I was over here. Yeah. I, I think our theories were were sound. They were just not correct in the end. Yeah, For- the window sham, I, I will admit, window, yeah, take accountability hour. The window sham take was me posting on the internet at 3 a.m. and a website forum that ends with .net. So yeah, yeah. that was very, <laughs> very brained, very big brained by me, but. <laughs> All right, Cody, we talked a little bit about, you know, some of the things that frustrated us. Um, so downstream for this episode, I just have, you know, the whole, you know, Jackie conspiracy thing. I my downstream is honestly just abandoning that take super early. Yeah, we should have we should have had more. We should have put more into that. The other thing I was going to say is like, "Hey, Jackie, is there anything that Simon could do for you to be like, you know what? Maybe this guy isn't for me." Like he's talking about getting hitched to this lady and fucking murdering her. Maybe maybe distance yourself. Yeah, I agree. My uh a downstream that I had was I had a couple. A smaller one was like kind of not realizing that Jackie and him were because there were clues like it does make sense in hindsight. Like obviously everything makes more sense in hindsight. Right. But, like Jackie was like yelling at the nurse being like why aren't you doing a better job saving this guy's life? Because the whole point is that she was going to marry him and get the money. If he dies, the money just goes nowhere. Like to some relative like hiding somewhere else right yep so it, it makes more sense there's more obviously the handkerchief so there is that stuff so it's like I, I i am a little kicking myself that we did abandon that theory my bigger one is one that you had already said was like i wanted to have simon be in the room and see him blubbering that would have been awesome i don't know why we didn't get that yeah yeah i that was a bummer like much more than like we got the take wrong like, it's a murder mystery it's supposed to be duped us i'm psyched about that it's like yeah i actually wanted him to be in the room not like 
Cornelia and the doctor like secretly holding hands behind their backs. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Poro, how many people have to die before you let someone know what it is you're thinking? I know, dude. What two, is going on? I think two people died after Poro quote had things figured out. <laughs> I know, dude. What? <laughs> and then um, two more. Once everyone did. And then two more. <laughs> Like, dude, who, can he be charged with like yeah, Ray's, negligence if he knew that she had a gun? Race turns to him and is like, "Well, you're going away for this, dude." Exactly. Like he was like, "That's like aiding and abetting that you had knowledge that she was like maybe gonna do something with the gun that she had." After you're like, "Yeah, she killed two people and assisted someone else in killing another person." Oh my god! But instead, he's just like. I did it again, baby. You're all welcome. And like leaves for London. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Things that we liked. So for me, the Tim Allerton theory, love that. Love getting that correct. I loved the parts with like Ferguson just shooting his shot with Cornelia. No pun intended on that. I just, it was so funny to hit for him just being like, Cornelia, what do you think about getting married? And then her turning him down and Van Schuyler just being like mortified. <laughs> so great. Yeah. And then, you know, we get the ultimate payoff where he's like, you're marrying the doctor. And she's like, yeah, because he's a better man than you. And he just looks at Poirot and he's just like, she's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, she, you know, women and Poirot's like, what are you talking about? Poirot's like, hey, shut up. Sh- 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 shut up. Something, something else is going to happen. I got to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> On a more serious note, my last thing is I love that Poro is a little bit of a softy. And I think what's important about this is like, it was always interesting to me that he was able to remain like a very empathetic human. Like he kept a lot of his emotions present alongside this like hyper objectivity and analytical thinking, or it's like, he can he can keep the facts straight in his head without being like clouded by what he thinks of people because there's two people at least for me where like this comes is like very apparent he's like a huge fan of Rosalie throughout the whole thing like he's hanging out with her they're chumming around a bunch you know he's talking to her that's great but more importantly he feels really badly for Jackie but he doesn't let that impact like how well he's able to read everything. Right. The only times he's cold is when people are dropping like flies around him and race is like, dude, what is going on? And he's like, <laughs> oh, not yet. The game is still afoot. Yeah. But I think it's really important that Poro has some of these traits mm-hmm. because in a story like this, there are so many characters that are like, it feels like a lot of times so many of them are painted with feels like a, like very broad strokes. Sure. Some of them kind of get lost in the sauce. Like Fanthorpe, we don't really know much about him at all. Ricchetti, this guy like... Sorry, Ricchetti. We don't really know much <laughs> about him. Like there's a bunch of characters in this that we just don't go very deep on. Right. So to me, it was really nice having a character where you could vibe with you felt like you knew him a little bit and you know he's so unique because like given the time period he's not like a noir cop right where he's like very cold to the world and just like another day another murder he's like he like to your point he is very much empathizing with the victims and the people around him and stuff 
All right. What what did you have for your upstream this week? Uh, my upstream was definitely just um, like I said, kind of the like pacing and structure and like architecture of the story. Like as soon as we're on the boat or like in Egypt, to be honest with you, like I know where everything is. Like when people are sitting down in a room, I can just see it in my head. Actions are very clear. Sometimes I like to like reread things, but more that was more like academic, like what we do. I'll reread it to be like, did I miss any details? I'm never like rereading because I'm like, wait, wait, wait what happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I just like I just like how cleanly you can just move through the story being like the scene is in your head. There's action and that it, you need that. It like having the scene be very clear and having there be a very spatially coherent kind of description of this of the, like the set pieces that lets you pay attention to the details. So mm-hmm. like you're not confused by where people are or what's happening. So that way when there is a little bit of detail where you're like, oh, like like she kicked it under the seat or like, wait, what time did this happen? Like those details are really what you want to focus on in the book. You can't be distracted by like, wait a minute, where the fuck's the saloon? Or like, like why is there a bar in there now? The couch yeah, it was exactly. kicked under. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, it's something that we brought up very early on when we were discussing this is it's just like she lets the important things be important and is able to really quickly paint pictures for you. And you can kind of fill in the blanks as you go, but it's just like we're in Egypt, we're on this kind of fancy boat with very rich people. And you kind of like, you just, you don't have to work very hard to picture the setting in your head. So I'm with you on that. I, I agree completely. All right. That is Death on the Nile, folks. We have one more episode with this story. We're going to watch the 20, was it 2022? Yep. Uh, movie adaptation. We're going to have a special guest on the pod next week to discuss both the book and the movie. So super excited to talk to them. Until then, if we mispronounce anything else, please let me know. Happy to correct at the top of every pod. Um, if you have any other insights on anything else, wanted to comment on, on other takes, or if you read the book, what you thought about it, let us know. We can discuss those next time. Uh, but until then, this has been the Bibliotheques Podcast. Thanks so much, folks. We'll see you soon. Bye.